Thank you uh, so much for your testimony here today. Um, and I'm going to remind members that the Committee Rule 3D imposes a five-minute limit on questions. The Chair will now recognize members for any questions they may wish to ask the witness. I will start by recognizing myself for five minutes. Uh, thank you again, Assistant Secretary. This is the second time you've been before the Committee in less than a week. Uh, we know we have a lot to cover, so I wanted to um, pick up on the statement with regards to VAWA, and Congress did give tribes additional authority to prosecute in um, those cases, right, which are, we have heard, and some of the testimony we believe we'll be hearing later today points out that in some states, they've already decided, uh, or at least in, this was out of Oklahoma, that they are not being referred, um, that the tribes aren't getting referrals of our cases of abuse against children, of abuse against women. Um, what have you heard out there regarding um, the immediate impact from the, the Castro Huerta case in terms of those referrals, which I think are key because as you pointed out, tribes, tribal leaders, tribal government is the closest to the family, the woman, the children that are being impacted. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, the, the main thing that we've been hearing in light of this case is, is confusion and, and stories about the potential uh, to create more conflict in public safety in Indian country. Um, prior to serving in this role, I served as elected tribal leader and also as a tribal court judge. And um, tribal officials are often charged with setting policy for uh, their communities on the reservation. And just like uh, state legislatures and just like Congress, that's always based on uh, conversation and, and feedback from constituents. And in light of this case now, we have we see the ability of states to come in and exercise jurisdiction over cases like this without tribal consent. And so it disrupts the ability of tribal officials to set the priorities, the public policy priorities within their reservations. And, and it removes the leverage that they have to cooperate with their neighboring communities and neighboring jurisdictions. So the themes that we've been hearing after this case are, are confusion and the uh, potential for this case to invite more conflict. That's interesting, the point you're making about that what we want to see is more opportunity for collaboration and cooperation. I mean, we've seen that whenever different law enforcement agencies cooperate, federal, state, tribal, federal, state, local, um, it's the cooperation that often leads to the breakthrough because a, a perpetrator is not necessarily going to stay within one jurisdiction. So you're saying that the worry is that this will not, rather than enhancing it, it will undermine. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, can you share with us, uh, I do look forward to receiving um, feedback on your listening sessions. I'm glad that we are all engaged in determining what the impacts are. But can you share with us any thoughts that the department has with regards to um, providing additional law enforcement uh, support and resources to tribal governments uh, and how that might have changed your calculus after Castro Huerta. Thank you, Madam Chair. You know, we have been working with Congress and with Indian Country to increase funding for public safety across uh, Indian Country and, and within tribal communities. Um, in my work in this role, uh, Far and away, the number one thing I hear from tribal leaders is about the, the need to uh, 
uh, do better in working together on public safety issues in tribal communities. That's been a consistent theme no matter where I've visited um, in any, every region of the country. And so we've been working again with Congress to increase that funding, to increase resources to tribal governments, and to also support them uh, in the exercise of their criminal jurisdiction to ensure safe communities. Thank you. And in this listening sessions that you're going to be doing, will those be will you be conducting those as official government to government consultation or as listening sessions? Uh, Madam Chair, these are these are titled listening sessions, and the distinction will allow us to hear also from scholars and and legal advocates as well as uh, tribal leaders. Of course, we always want to engage directly in a government to government relationship, and that will be a part of these listening sessions. And I take it that after the listening sessions, uh, do you already have you already begun the work to provide guidance to tribal governments uh, following Castro Huerta? We have not. We want to hear from uh, we want to hear from Indian Country first, and of course, we have to work together with the Department of Justice uh, before proceeding. Well, uh, I believe we all want to hear from the Department of Justice as well, and we look forward to having that opportunity in the future. Uh, the chair will, so thank you very much. The chair will now recognize the ranking member. Mr. Newland, it's very nice to see you again. It's only been a few days. Uh, it's, it's great that the DOI is taking the step of, create, of uh, conducting these listening sessions. I wonder if you could fill us in on uh, what contacts you've had from tribes outside of Oklahoma who are concerned about how the Castro Huerta decision changes the uh, jurisdiction of state prosecution of crimes? Uh, thank you, uh, Congressman. We've had, uh, we have had meetings with tribal leaders from different regions of the country. In particular, we've had representatives from the Great Plains Tribal Chairmen's Association um, uh, tell us directly that uh, they are worried about the impact of this decision and the potential uh, for confusion in policing in their communities. And have you had contact with states that are now interested in pursuing criminal cases in Indian country, I mean, out, outside of the public law, 280 instances that already exist? I have not, no. So, uh, you obviously had a lot of experience in this issue. You have a good grasp of the cases, uh, the decisions, and their implications. Wondering uh, if you could advise us in Congress as to what actions Congress should take in response to the Castro Huerta decision. What would you advise us to do? Thank you, Ranking Member. Uh, before I, before I go so far as to uh, recommend a, a path forward, I want to make sure we get feedback uh, from Indian country. But on, on the whole, I think, as we've tried to show in our testimony, we've had now since the uh, self-determination era, uh, Congress, uh, Congress is led by both parties, administrations from, from both parties, have been very consistent in uh, affirming the principle of self-determination and tribal sovereignty, and Congress has acted consistently to clarify and strengthen uh, tribal jurisdiction within uh, the boundary, their boundaries of tribal reservations. And so it's, it's in, it would be in keeping uh, with that trend and with the policy of self-determination for Congress, as you indicated in your opening remarks, to clarify and strengthen the ability of tribes to determine how public safety is uh, protected 
in tribal communities. And, and the hallmark of that is consent. And that's, that's a law that Congress has already enacted more than 50 years ago is to ensure that tribes have the ability to provide consent when other jurisdictions are acting within the boundaries of their reservations. Okay, so the, the issue of consent, I mean, I think that's a great one. I mean, that really we already have that, right? Because when uh, a tribe consents to have states bring criminal prosecutions on Indian country, that's a completely different situation to a tribe that might want to try those cases itself. So uh, how, how would we, in Congress, how would we act, what action would we take to strengthen the ability of tribes to consent and to protect tribal sovereignty in cases when they, they do not wish to? Again, ranking member, as, as part of our trust responsibility, I want to make sure that we are uh, working with Indian country to present solutions. So I don't want to offer up specific solutions to the subcommittee without first hearing from tribes. And I also want to make sure that uh, when we do that, we have the Department of Justice at the table. They're going to be participating in these listening sessions. Um, but I think on the whole, again, Congress has been consistent in acting many times in response to the Supreme Court to defend its prerogative uh, here to set the federal government's uh, Indian affairs policies, uh, and in doing that has worked with tribes and has worked with the executive branch um, in, in fulfilling those obligations. Right. Well, uh, I, I completely agree with you uh, on, on both of those issues. Uh, I, I do think that Congress needs to act uh, deliberately, not immediately, but deliberately, and I applaud you for how thorough you've been in, in soliciting the input of everyone involved, and I think the DOJ also needs to be at the table. And uh, I also think that you brought up a, a very important point, which is the protection of people should be at the forefront of the decisions that we make. And the, the worst thing that can happen is that crimes go unprosecuted. Crimes against Indians in Indian country go unprosecuted. That's unacceptable. We absolutely cannot allow that to happen no matter what we do. But, uh, but I, I hope that at the end of this process is Congress chooses to act, we do it deliberately, we do it fairly, and we do it explicitly so that we don't throw open the interpretations of the actions of Congress to the courts, which I don't think serves anyone's interest. I want to thank you for your testimony. I yield back, Madam Chair. Thank you. Uh, the Chair will now recognize the gentleperson from Arizona, Representative Gallego. Thank you, Madam Chair. I want to start by thanking Chair Ledger Fernandez for calling this hearing and by thanking our witnesses, especially the tribal leaders, for testifying. Unfortunately, we're here today to examine yet another blow to tribal sovereignty in the form of the Castro Huerta Supreme Court decision. On this subcommittee, we spend much of our time writing past injustices and working towards a future where the federal government finally fully lives up to its trust responsibilities. The Castro Huerta decision makes this task even more difficult by undermining tribal sovereignty and unraveling hundreds of years of precedent around criminal jurisdiction in Indian country. Part of the court's motivation for this decision appeared to be that upholding tribal sovereignty in this case was an inconvenience. But we on this committee know that upholding the trust responsibility isn't about convenience, it's about complying with the treaty obligations the United States is legally bound to do. That's why I believe Congress must act swiftly to address Castro Huerta before it's more harmful and disruptive and its disruptive impacts can come to pass. I look forward to today's hearing from tribal leaders directly about what they believe Congress's next step should be in the wake of Castro Huerta. With that, I have a couple questions for our witnesses. Assistant Secretary Newland, 
I appreciate that your written testimony spoke not only about clarifying the jurisdictional issues raised by Castro Huerta, but also ensuring that tribes have the federal support to build capacity for law enforcement and self-governance on their own land, a key element of combating the missing and murdered indigenous persons crisis. That's why later this week, I'm planning to reintroduce the badges for Native American Native Communities Act. The bill would support hiring personnel and resolving unmet needs for law enforcement in Indian country. How is your department working to help build this capacity in Indian country, especially post-VAWA reauthorization? Thank you, Congressman, and, and uh, it's, it's great to see you again. I, uh, Secretary Holland is, is passionate about this issue and has been forceful in, in directing us um, to work with the Department of Justice and, and under President Biden's executive order on uh, public safety in Indian country, coordinating across agencies, and we know uh, data is a key component to make sure that we have effective policing. And so through the Not Invisible Act Commission and, and existing statutes that Congress has already enacted, we've been working with the Department of Justice to make sure that we're bridging those data gaps. Um, Follow-up question. There's a concern that Castro Huerta's determination of concurrent state jurisdiction over major crimes committed in a country will cause the federal government to pull out its law enforcement forces on tribal lands. Does the department plan on doing this, or have you heard of this concern? No, we don't plan to do that. Has there been any uh, concern uh, expressed by some of our tribal leaders in terms of, uh, has, have they expressed that concern to you? Not to me directly, Congressman. We don't have plans to, to, uh, to pull out of Indian country and, and uh, let tribes fend for themselves on, on this. Um, and I'll defer to tribe, the tribal leader witnesses uh, to share their views on yeah. that. Thank you. And uh, you know, just a uh, since Secretary, you know, I think just from my uh, experience visiting uh, tribal lands and visiting with our tribal law enforcement, you know, there is just a backlog, even you know, just in terms of you know tribal infrastructure, in terms of law enforcement buildings, for example, jails, prisons, uh, as well as, of course, how hard it is to recruit these police officers to come and serve these communities that sometimes are far away from metropolitan. Um, uh, areas, and so of course, just want to make sure we I highlight that because I, you know, we they want security just like they want and deserve security like just like anybody else. And this these types of court decisions really, um, you know, I think scares a lot of people in thinking that that may not happen. So, uh, with that, thank you, uh, Madam Chair and Ranking Member, for for hosting this. Thank you very much. Uh, the. Chair will now recognize the gentleperson from the American Samoa, uh, Representative Radewagen, for five minutes. Hello. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, my question is uh, for Mr. Newland as well. There have been some who proposed ambitious legislative proposals, and that action should be taken immediately. Yet there are some tribes that have voiced restraint, and they're concerned about Congress acting too quickly. What are your thoughts on the lack of unified position from tribes in Oklahoma and tribes throughout the United States? Thank you, Madam Congresswoman. Um, I think it's important to uh, affirm at the outset that while this case originated in Oklahoma, it is not confined to Oklahoma. Uh, that's why we are um, soliciting the views of uh, tribal leaders and, and uh, tribal uh, attorneys and, and scholars across Indian country on the best way to move forward. I, I 
I think that there needs to be a deliberate and thoughtful action, but of course with 576 federally recognized tribes, there's rarely uniformity on, on any one view, uh, but it's gonna be important that we uh, get as, as much feedback as possible before recommending a, a path forward. Thank you, and I yield back the balance of my time. Thank, thank you very much. Are there any other members who uh, wish to ask questions who have not asked questions? Seeing none, I'd like to thank you very much for your testimony. We look forward to hearing uh, feedback on your listening sessions and to continuing this conversation so that we can have deliberate but actual congressional response. We'll now move on to our second witness panel. We'll be transitioning to our second panel of witnesses today, and as they take their seats, I will uh, remind non-administration witnesses that they are encouraged to participate in the Witness Diversity Survey created by the Congressional Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Witnesses may refer to their hearing invitation materials for further information. Under our committee rules, oral statements are limited to five minutes, but you may submit a longer statement for the record if you choose. When you begin, the on-screen timer will begin counting down and will turn orange when you have one minute remaining. I recommend that members and witnesses joining remotely lock the timer on their screen. When you go over the allotted time, I'll tap my gavel and kindly ask you to please wrap up your statement. After your testimony is complete, please remember to mute yourself to avoid any inadvertent background noise. I will allow the entire panel to testify before we begin the question portion of the hearing. The chair now recognizes the Honorable Janadev Jaruri, who is the ambassador for the Muscogee Creek Nation. <laughs> 